It's Thursday, April 2nd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has officially declared a 30-day stay-at-home order for the state after facing criticism for not doing so earlier. The other issue facing Florida is what to do with sick people on the Zandam cruise ship and wants to dock in Port Everglades. DeSantis only wants to take state residents that are on the ship, and the Coast Guard has said that the ships must stay out at sea with the sick on board. A plan is still being worked out for what to do, even as another sick cruise ship also plans to make its way there. Samantha Gross, reporter at the Miami Herald, joins us for more. Next, the CDC is considering recommendations for people to wear face masks while out in public. Previously, the recommendation was not to buy any masks as medical workers needed them and they were in short supply. But we have gone to the point where we need to step up efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus. Masks reduce the spread of infectious disease by catching microbes expelled by the wearer and also protecting them from outside microbes. And while they might not catch everything, there's a strong case we should all be wearing masks during a pandemic. Ferris Jaber, writer for Wired, joins us for how wearing face masks could help. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I'm going to be doing an executive order today uh, directing all Floridians to limit movements and personal interactions outside the home to only those necessary to obtain or provide essential services or conduct essential activities. Joining us now is Samantha Gross, reporter for the Miami Herald. Thanks for joining us, Samantha. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about these cruise ships that are on their way to South Florida there. This is the Zandam and the Rotterdam cruise ships from Holland, America. One ship, the Rotterdam, has healthy passengers and the Zandam has people that have been reporting flu-like symptoms. I think there have been four deaths on that ship, two that they said had COVID-19. And these ships have been turned away from port all over the world right now and they're heading to Florida and there hasn't been a deal cut yet with whether they're going to allow them to dock there and to get anybody off the ship there. Samantha, tell us the latest. What do we know what's going on here? Yeah, so both ships are traveling at around 21 knots, which could put them um, near South Florida by about 1 a.m. tomorrow morning. Um, They're kind of rounding Cuba um, this morning. So they're headed towards South Florida, but there still isn't a concrete plan as to what's going to happen to them. Um, there are about 1,200 passengers on board both ships, and you know at least nine aboard are sick. And so they're they're trying to make some plans for them, but there hasn't been anything finalized yet, which is a cause for concern for a lot of people. As we've seen with other cruise ships, most notably the one that docked in Japan, where they had a bunch of people that were sick with coronavirus, it becomes this kind of breeding ground for it. So the longer that they stay on this ship the possibility increases that they might come down with this. Governor Ron DeSantis has said that he'd be willing to take residents from Florida off of the ship first, but they really don't want anybody to come onto shore because they just feel it's going to overwhelm the health system there. That's right. And there is a cause for concern there. I mean, Broward County, where Port Everglades is, is a hot spot of COVID-19 cases in Florida. Um, South Florida has more than half of the cases statewide. And so people are definitely worried about draining resources here, considering, um, you know, the hospital system is already starting to see kind of an influx in patients. 
Um, they want to preserve the healthcare system, but of course there are so many people who are going to need help. And so I think they're trying to arrange a plan for getting those people home um, to where they can get care. Okay. I have this question. I'm sure everybody's asking it in their heads. Why are people even on these cruise ships? Why are they sailing? I mean, we saw what was happening with the very first ships in Japan and it was a mess there. So why would people put themselves in these situations again? I know that these ships are both coming from South America, right? Right. So the the crews were, you know, from South America and they left on uh, March 8th. And so that was kind of before the state had kind of taken this more seriously. It's before there were a lot of more warnings about travel and flight cancellations and things like that. And so a lot of the people who were on this ship thought that things were okay when they were boarding, but obviously in the last month, things have taken quite a dive. So, um, you know, a lot of these people have been on these ships for a really long time and that's, you know, part of why it is troublesome that they've, you know, they're getting sick and they're in this kind of confined space, but the cruise, you know, was supposed to end in Chile on March 21st. It was a March 8th cruise. So what I've been seeing also is that the people that were sick were on the Zandam cruise ship. So they dispatched the Rotterdam to take healthy passengers off. Is that ship still not being allowed to dock also, even though they're saying that people are healthy on that ship? Yeah, both ships are kind of in... Uh, flux right now. Both ships are headed toward Port Everglades, and it's it's unclear, you know, what they're going to do. Um, you know, people who weren't exhibiting symptoms on the Zandam were taken onto the sister ship, the Rotterdam, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all those people aren't carrying the virus. You know, I think there's a lot of concern of asymptomatic people who had been in contact with folks who were showing t- symptoms, so they're taking precaution um, for both ships. And they're saying that there are some people that are seriously ill. The ships do have doctors and nurses and some medical facilities there on board. That's correct. Yeah, there are infirmaries on board. Um, Someone I talked to yesterday, her dad has been given antibiotic pills to kind of help him. He's really sick. He has pneumonia. Um, And, you know, obviously people who are sick are getting as much help as they can, but it's not the same as being in a, you know, on land hospital where you have access to IV medication and, you know, just more resources, more beds available. Yeah. I think the people that you're referring to also, they're stuck in a room that has no windows. So they're quarantined in there and they've been there. I think they've had like a fever for 10 days or something they reported. Those are some tough situations to be in right there. And we're also hearing that this is not the only two ships that are headed there. There's also another princess cruises. It's called the Coral Princess is on its way also, probably won't get there till maybe about Saturday or so, but they're also looking to hopefully dock there in that area? Right. Um, I think, you know, with those ships, they're hoping that there will be a plan in place by the time that they come. Um, Right now, there have been plans that have been floated past the Broward County Commission on how to handle these passengers. And it's my understanding that whatever plan they end up putting into place would apply to any um, other incoming ships that would need to dock at Port Everglades. I'm over here in California. And a couple of weeks ago, I guess there was a cruise ship that came down and they had this very orderly fashion and took a few days, obviously, because there were so many people, but they took people out. They sent those that needed to go to hospitals to hospitals. And then everybody else kind of got shipped back home. Basically, they flew them back to their own places. Does it seem that this is what's going to happen here and really Florida has no other choice. I mean, where else do these people go, but 
kind of being stuck out at sea if nobody else wants them, which is kind of the case it's been already. Right. So the plans that were floated and that were ultimately rejected by the Broward County Commission included chartered flights that were going to be paid for by Carnival to send people all over the world. You know, there's quite a few, you know, foreign nationals that are on the ship. Um, And so they had chartered flights that were supposed to go all over the world. I assume that whatever plan they do get in place would include some similar travel plans. Um, It also allowed for people in Florida to be returned to their cars or to rent a car via, you know, kind of secured ground transportation that Carnival would provide. Samantha Gross, reporter at the Miami Herald. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. There is some rationale that the person in the street who may not know they're infected could actually prevent the spread to other people by wearing masks. This hasn't been proven. We know the masks are not 100% effective. Joining us now is Ferris Jaber, writer for Wired. Thanks for joining us, Ferris. Yes, thank you for having me. We're going to be talking about face masks. The CDC is considering recommending the general public start wearing face coverings in public. There's been a lot of back and forth. Uh, Obviously, when this whole pandemic started, especially here in the United States, the officials were telling people don't buy face masks because there was a critical shortage for medical workers that needed them. Then they said, hey, if you're sick, maybe you should wear it. But uh, if you're healthy, you don't need to. Now all of this is changing. Uh, The guidelines might be changing very soon. But uh, Ferris, you wrote an article about how it's kind of time to face it, face the facts that masks do work. Uh, even if they're not 100% effective, what they do provide could help help the spread of the COVID-19 as we're experiencing it right now. So in other words, any little bit helps kind of thing. Uh, Ferris, tell us a little bit more about that. That's right. So the, the official guidance from the CDC and the WHO has been that masks are not effective when it comes to the general public, that they are effective for healthcare workers, but there's not really strong evidence that they can help prevent you know, members of the general public from getting a respiratory illness. But when you really look at the evidence as a whole, I think there is pretty, pretty compelling reasons that uh, members of the general public should wear masks as well. Um, and so there's different kinds of masks that kind of get lumped together sometimes. The N95 respirators are the, the most efficient and effective. And those are the ones that are really essential for, for healthcare workers who perform procedures that generate these really tiny respiratory droplets that are difficult to filter out. And for most people, that level of protection is not necessary because we're not constantly in contact with infected people the way that doctors and nurses are. And then the second level is a surgical mask, which is usually a soft pleated rectangle. And those work really well, um, too. And and, then doctors and nurses use those all the time as well when they're not doing high risk procedures. But unfortunately, right now in the U.S. and many other countries, there's simply too massive a shortage of N95s and surgical masks for the public to use those. You know, any any new ones that are produced really should be going to hospitals and healthcare workers. So the best option for everybody else right now is to make fabric masks at home. Um, And there are a few studies that have examined how well fabric masks work against influenza and other respiratory diseases. And the answer is not as well as surgical masks or N95s, but still surprisingly well. They definitely provide some protection. And um, if 
you know, there's increasing evidence that with COVID, there's a lot of people who are infected but don't realize it. They don't have noticeable symptoms. So they could be out and about on their essential tasks, buying food or medicine, spreading the virus without realizing it because they don't feel that anything is wrong. So if everybody puts on a mask, that could powerfully reduce the risk of of transmitting the virus. And that's exactly why the guidelines might be changing. It's for these people that are asymptomatic that could be spreading it and not knowing it. Most of these droplets, these respiratory droplets that get uh, thrown out there, uh, it happens when you're talking, but mostly when you're coughing or sneezing is when they're going to be traveling distances that could be uh, dangerous to people. You were talking about some studies that were done on different types of masks and, and, and alternatives. Uh, there was one that came out in 2013 where scientists compared the filtration efficiency of the surgical mask to linens, uh, a silk scarf, a kitchen towel, vacuum cleaner bags. Tell us how that one turned out. Yeah, that's an interesting study which has been cited a lot because they really looked at quite a wide variety of homemade materials, you know, household materials a lot of people would have access to. And um, the vacuum cleaner bag turned out to be the second best after the surgical mask because it is so dense and tightly woven. But the problem is that it's really uncomfortable to wear a vacuum cleaner bag over your face for a long period of time. So they ended up um, favoring the uh, cotton t-shirt and the um, kitchen towel because those are both fairly dense but still breathable and still comfortable. They have some elasticity to them. And they really they really thought that a, a homemade mask made out of a cotton t-shirt was the best option. Um, I, I recently heard someone doing something kind of clever. So certain, certain homemade fabric masks that you can buy on Etsy or that people are making in their communities have a pocket in them. And some people will buy a manufactured filter. It's just sort of like a little pad that you slip into that pocket. But somebody said that they put a vacuum cleaner bag or part of one inside that pocket, which I think is is a pretty good idea. It's worth trying. As long as you can breathe through it, that's okay. You know, you, you don't want to impede your breathing too much, but you want to get something that's that's pretty tight and dense to be able to block out those particles. I, when I saw that part of that study, I mean, I immediately chuckled a little bit because I remember the big vacuum bags from when I was a kid, you know, having to do chores. And I was like, I would have to put a whole bag on my head right. for this to work. But OK, so the question is, uh, you know, these N95s and these surgical masks, they have filters in them. If uh, people need to make one at home, you know, out of a T-shirt, claw, other claws, whatever, what should they be doing for that filter to, to be able to filter out as much as they can? Right. So the filter that's used in N95s and surgical masks is, is a really special kind of material. It's usually called melt-blown fabric or, or spun fabric, and it's basically cotton candy plastic. It's, you know, it's extremely tiny filaments of plastic and it's produced by machines that cost millions of dollars to construct and they're massive, massive machines. So it's really difficult to replicate that kind of material exactly. So, you know, still okay though to just have cotton or just have a towel over your face because the the idea really is to catch the brunt of a cough or a sneeze you know there's there's all these large globs of mucus that are visible that you're going to catch and stop and those all contain virus in them as well so you don't you don't only have to prevent the really tiny particles with a, with a special manufactured filter but some people you know that will um, try to find these 
sort of filter replacements that are meant to be slipped inside fabric masks. Um, they're, you know, they were, I think they're more common in Asia than, than they are in the West, but they are sort of out there and some people will find them online. But that, I don't, you know, that's really not necessary. I, I think it, for most people, it's, it's okay just to have one or two layers of cotton or another, another suitable material. That's basically where we've gotten to this point. Early on, they said, hey, don't buy the mask because medical professionals need them. And you're not going to wear it right either. And you're going to be touching your face. But we've gotten to this point where we really want to stem the flow of this spread. And at this point, anything helps. Uh, you know, just as you mentioned, you know, even wearing some the cotton T-shirt is going to catch at least the biggest parts of a cough or a sneeze. And so this is the point that we're at. And, and this is why these recommendations might be changing. That's right. And and it's a good point to bring up the use of masks because it, it does make a big difference in how effective they are. And, you know, there there are some basic guidelines to follow just as there are, you know, with hand washing. And it's it's really not that difficult to learn. I think the most important thing is to remember is that when you should you really have to treat the mask like something that is very sterile and sanitized so when when you before you put it on wash your hands once you have it on your face go out and do whatever you have to do and do not touch the mask don't fidget with it don't take it off for anything just leave it alone uh, when you come back home remove the mask by the strings or the ear loops do not touch the front piece which has probably caught microbes in it and then immediately sanitize that by putting it into a hot wash if it's a fabric mask or if you've made a disposable paper mask just throw it away immediately and that those are really the the basic steps you need to know to make sure that you're not accidentally contaminating yourself with a mask there was a line you put in your article that says the collective evidence makes a strong case for universal mask wearing during a pandemic and and there was two things that you mentioned throughout the article you know if you look at photos of americans during the 1918 influenza pandemic which a lot of people have been referencing as of lately because of this you know, you see a lot of photos, people are all wearing masks. And then uh, beyond that, culturally in Japan, it's rude if you're not wearing one, if you're sick, because you don't want to get other people sick. I just was on a trip to Japan uh, in December, right before all of this started. And yeah, they're everywhere. And, and it's just a, a normal practice for them. Coupled all this together, you know, yeah, it very much does make the case for when something is going around like this, we should be protecting ourselves, even if it's not with an N95 or a surgical mask specifically. Exactly. And it's really interesting that, you know, Japan and some of the other Asian countries, which have had repeated experiences with epidemics and pandemics that we haven't had here in the U.S. since 1918, they are the countries where mask wearing is much more culturally ingrained. And they're also some of the countries that are handling this pandemic a lot better. They're having much better outcomes so far. And it's absolutely true. There's many other factors at play. You know, they've acted faster. They've acted more rigorously. Um, but a lot of people think the masks are a big part of that as well. And it's also interesting that in 1918, it was actually America's widespread use of masks that originally inspired Japan to start doing the same, which seems so odd today because it's so culturally ingrained there and so foreign and almost taboo here. But J Japanese health authorities were, were directly inspired by Americans recommending that everybody wrap their faces in gauze. Yeah, I, I'm sure everybody's going to be seeing a lot of guides online for how to make your own masks. I've already seen a bunch, but I'm sure there's going to be increased posts regarding that. I'm sure we'll start getting it together on that front. I don't know if it'll ever become a, a cultural thing here in the United States, but uh, it's definitely something to watch out for, at least on that. Right. Ferris Jaber, writer for Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. 
That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.